you would to stand with me, we'll read those together. And then we will look at a message I've titled, A Sacrifice of Praise. Sacrifice of Praise, Hebrews 13, verses 15 and 16. The Bible says there, Through Him, then let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is, the fruit of lips that acknowledge His name. Verse 16 says, Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have. For such sacrifices are pleasing to God. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the time we've had already today. Pray that you will bless this message, that you would increase and I would decrease as we give you all the glory today in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. I found this story this week, and I'm going to quote this gentleman several times, and I just want to caution, this is not a writer that, or, or a pastor that I would necessarily recommend to you for resources. I've not ever read these books of his, I'm simply just quoting from him, because I did find the quotes to be uh, relative to, uh, relevant rather to uh, the message today. And so this, this quote that I'm going to give you is from a, a book called Whisper by a guy named Mark Batterson. You probably have heard of The Circle Maker. That's probably his most popular book, which I haven't read either. But um, either way, he talks about this uh, medical condition, if you will, called the Tomatus effect. I had never heard of this before. Maybe some of you have if you're uh, more familiar with audiology. I I asked my daughter, since that's kind of her field, sort of, and she wasn't familiar with it either. So we probably all learned something today on this. But Mark Batterson shares this in his book called Whisper. He said, Dr. Alfred Tomatus was an ENT doctor. There's a bigger, fancier name that he used that I didn't write down because I didn't think anybody know what it meant. So ear, nose, and throat doctor who visited a renowned, or was, was visited, I should say, by a renowned opera singer who could no longer hit certain notes even though they were well within his range. He had seen other ENTs and they had assumed that it was his vocal issue. But Dr. Tomatus thought otherwise. Opera singers can produce decibels, he said, well above 140 decibels, which is louder than a jet taking off from an aircraft carrier. He said that sound is even louder inside one's own skull. And here was Tomatus's conclusion. He came up with this diagnosis. The opera singer had been deafened by the sound of his own voice. He said if you can't hear a note then you can't sing that note. Dr. Tomatus was convinced that the voice can only reproduce what the ear can hear. And he was renowned for that discovery. Here's why I thought that was such an interesting story and why I felt like it applied so good to this text today. I think that when we talk about praise, which we see in our text, verse 15, when we talk about praise... For most of us, we see praise as a response to something. When we are benefited by someone or something, we are apt to give praise. If we throw our dog a ball and it fetches it and brings it back to us like we asked him to or her to, we praise the dog for doing that. If our kids get good grades like we want them to, we praise them. For doing that. Do you see what I'm saying here? It's a response, usually to a positive event. And I would say we even do that with God. If God blesses us, if God protects us, if God provides for us in a way that we feel that He should, we are often full of praise towards Him. And I think those are all good. 
I don't think that the Bible is against that type of praise. But I think we see something different here. Because if you notice when we read our text in verse 15, what kind of praise, what is the word that he puts before praise? A sacrifice of praise. It's not really all that sacrificial to give thanks when everything happened just like you wanted it to. When everything turned out just as you expected it would and you say, great, thank you God, perfect. But what about when it doesn't go like you expected? What about when things don't fall into place like they should? Dr. Tomatus said, the voice can only reproduce what the ear can hear. And I believe that the shouts of the world and maybe our own internal cries of pain and the troubles that we allow to linger too long in our minds have often made us deaf to the promises of God. I think sometimes we have a difficult time hearing that still small voice above all the other noise that is in our lives today. And I believe if we can't hear His voice, then we won't be able to praise Him in difficult situations. We won't be able to offer a sacrifice of praise because we only hear His voice when good things happen and not when the difficulties come. In Psalm 54, verse 6, the psalmist says, With a free will offering, freely, I will sacrifice to you. I will give thanks to your name, O Lord, for it is good. He says, no one has to coerce me. No one has to manipulate me or bribe me. I will willingly offer sacrifice to you and give thanks to your name. Why? Because your name is good. Because you are good. I found two other quotes from Mark Batterson that I thought were really good. These weren't in that same book that I quoted a moment ago. But he said these two things, and I think they're both very true. He said, the hardest praise is the highest praise. The hardest praise is the highest praise. And here's the second quote by him. Whatever you don't turn into praise turns into pain. I want you to think on those two things for a minute. And I want us to think about Hebrews. And I think as always, I don't want to just pull verses out and make a sermon about them without keeping them in the proper context. So the entire book of Hebrews is showing the superiority of Christ and Christianity and the New Covenant over Judaism and the Old Covenant. That's what the entire book is centered around, showing that the Old Covenant had a place and a time, but it was just a type or a shadow that is ultimately fulfilled in Jesus Christ. He fulfilled the law, he passed, the Old Covenant has passed away, and He has ushered in a New Covenant of grace, not law-keeping. So that's, in a nutshell, what we're talking about. And then in chapter 13, he starts to talk about the sacrifice and the sacrificial system, which he mentions a lot in this book. And he says that there is an altar. And he goes in depth about that. And he says that, that we, don't know, we no longer partake of that altar. That Lord, the Lord Jesus Christ was the last sacrifice that we needed. And He died outside of the camp, just like the sin offering would be cast outside the camp. Jesus died outside the camp. So all this is figurative language pointing towards the fact that Jesus Christ is the final and sufficient sacrifice for sin. We don't need anything else. There will be nothing else. No one else is coming. Jesus is not coming again to die for your sins, my friends. He died once for all. The offering that He gave on Calvary can still and will still save you today. If you will trust Him. And so all these things are just shadows. The Old Testament was just a shadow. The law was a shadow pointing us to their final fulfillment. 
And so then we, we land on our verses today, verse 15. And I want us to notice right off the bat how he begins this verse. Two words. Through Him. Can I tell you today that no matter what style of worship we use, whether we sang just hymns or all praise and worship, contemporary music, whether we had bright lights on or we dimmed the lights, whether we have chairs or pews, whether we have smoke machines or I wear jeans, khakis, a suit or skinny jeans or whatever I wear, it doesn't matter to God at the end of the day as long as our worship is biblical and it's done through Him. Because you cannot worship God any other way except through Jesus Christ. There is no other pleasing sacrifice to God other than the sacrifice of His Son, Jesus Christ. That is the only acceptable sacrifice. And we, in tune, through Christ, are called to sacrifice certain ways, certain things to Him as well. I want you to think about this has been an issue ever since the beginning. People want to worship God on their terms. People want to worship God the way that they want to worship Him. And God has not left us that option. God tells us who He is and what type of worship is pleasing to Him. And if we offer anything else to Him, we are offering strange fire on the altar. But all the way back in Genesis, what happened? Adam and Eve have children. The first two sons, Cain and Abel, come along. And what is going to take place? A sacrifice. Worship. And the two boys have differing ideas as to what type of sacrifice ought to be given to God. Cain brought something that he brought from the ground. He worked, he produced, he cared for, and he brings to God. Abel brings a sacrifice of the best of his flock. And here's what Genesis 4, 3-5 says. In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground. And Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and the fat portions thereof. And the Lord had regard for Abel and for his offering. But for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. So Cain, listen to the response. Cain was very angry and his face or his countenance fell. God was very distinct on how he should be worshipped. And Cain said, I'm going to do it my way. And God didn't receive it. And yet he still was merciful and gave Cain an opportunity to get things right. But Cain was angry because ultimately Cain's pride wanted him to be acknowledged more than God. He was jealous of his brother, so much so that he eventually would go out and kill him. You see, the human heart desires to be praised itself. All of us like a little praise from time to time, and I don't think that that's necessarily bad. But when it becomes to a point where it obsesses us to where we almost desire worship of ourselves... That's a dangerous place to be because our God is a jealous God and He alone is worthy of worship, not us. I, and, and I'm going to be honest with you and I want to say this lovingly, but I appreciate how much you care for me and I appreciate how much confidence you put in me, but please don't worship me. Please don't worship your pastor. I fall short every day. I don't have all the answers. I need sin uh, forgiven and need to confess my sin regularly. So I appreciate the love, but please understand that only the Lord Jesus is worthy of worship. And He is the one I'm trying to point you to because I need Him just as much as all of you. And so when we think about this, it's, it's through Him. We approach God through Jesus Christ. We find forgiveness through Jesus Christ. We are kept by Jesus Christ. And, and we live and we praise 
through Jesus Christ. What we do here on Sundays and Wednesdays is just hopefully an extension of our time already spent with Jesus. That's why I tell you all the time, if you spent no time with Jesus through the week, no time in prayer, no time in His Word, and you come in here and just think you can flip the switch on and worship, it will not happen. Worship is an overflow of your time with God. It just is. Corporately, I mean. And preaching is no different. If I spent no time with the Lord all week and tried to just jump up here and preach a sermon with no time spent, no preparation, no prayer, it wouldn't go very well. Because it's just an overflow of the time that we have already spent with the Lord through the week. We worship Him because of who He is. And so, when we think about a sacrifice of praise, we know that life is hard. At different times, life can be very hard. We have folks in this church going through or even just coming out of some very difficult seasons. Maybe you're getting ready to head into one of those. And the pain is real. And all of us get discouraged sometimes. Even the best of us. But when that is the circumstance surrounding us, then praise is a sacrifice. When life is hard and pain is real and discouragement seems to not ever want to go away and we still praise God in those situations, that is a sacrificial praise. That is something that goes deeper than us. Because when we think about the word sacrifice, biblically speaking, I'm sure we, our minds all go to the Passover and the lambs being slaughtered and all those things. And you would be right. The Greek word is thusia, and it literally means to kill or slaughter something. And so we're not used to that in our culture. You know, we, we get grossed out when we see a dead bird on the side of the road or a dead raccoon. You know, that's too much for us to look at just that. I can't imagine what it would be like to see a continual flow of animals going in and out, blood being shed constantly for sin. I, I just, I can't even fathom what that kind of culture would look like. But it was normal for the people in this time. But when we think about killing or slaughtering something, and we talk about a sacrifice of praise or presenting our bodies as a living sacrifice that we read so many times a couple of weeks ago when we went through Romans. I think that there are things in our life, ourselves included, that figuratively speaking, we need to sacrifice. That we need to put to death. Paul says that he died daily. Paul said that he needed to, and we need to, mortify the flesh. to Put it to death. It's a daily thing for us. We battle this old flesh constantly. And it needs to die. And I think one of the things that comes with our flesh that needs to die is our pride. All of us, to some degree, have pride and it needs to die. We deserve this, God. We have earned this. I hear it all the time and I've been guilty at times in my life to say, I just don't understand. I try to do everything right. I try to be obedient. I try to do what pastor says. I try to do what the Bible says. And the harder I try, the worse it gets. And in the back of our minds, we're thinking, maybe not necessarily I deserve this, but at least we're thinking, man, it should be easier. I've done A, B, and C. I ought to at least get to D every once in a while. And we have this idea that we have earned it, or we deserve it, or we don't deserve all this bad that's happening to us. And we don't get what we want, and we don't get recognized like we feel we should, and we didn't get blessed like somebody else got blessed. And then here's the problem. Our hearts, which is where it all originates, the pride, Jesus said everything originates from here. Our pride and our heart starts to work on our mind and our thoughts start to go here and there and then it comes out of our mouth. Our tongue starts to complain rather than praise. Right? 
One of my fa- favorite pastors that I read a lot, Stephen Cole, he said this. I thought this was a good quote. If in our hearts we constantly grumble and complain about the way that God is treating us, and then we come to church, put on our happy face, and sing praises to God, we are being hypocrites. We have got to deal with our hearts before we can bring a true sacrifice of praise to God. He says, confess your grumbling, seek the satisfaction and joy that comes through faith alone in Christ, or otherwise your praises will be hollow and not heartfelt. He says, your good deeds will not be acceptable to God because true praise and genuine good deeds flow from a heart that is satisfied in God and in His abundant grace in Christ. Man, what a great, great explanation there. It's the fruit of our lips. Notice in Hebrews 13, he says in verse 15, let us offer continually a sacrifice of praise that is the fruit of our lips. That's the fruit that's produced. But the roots are much deeper. The roots are down in the heart. And what is from the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh, Jesus said. And so I want us to notice that he says that we should, uh, we should produce something. And how often should we produce it? What does our text tell us in verse 15? Through Him let us then continually. This isn't just an occasional thing. This isn't just a Sunday worship experience. This isn't just every once in a while, guys. This should be a habitual, continual action of us. In 1 Thessalonians 5.16, Paul just says two words. Rejoice always. That may be one of the hardest verses in the Bible. Because life doesn't always give us things to rejoice about, does it? People don't always give us things to rejoice about. But you know who does? The Lord Jesus Christ. And that is again why our focus has to turn away from our circumstances, turn away from the bitter people that are around us, and focus on Jesus to be made. We can be mad at this person, or we can be thankful and satisfied in Christ. We can be upset that things went this way, or we can be thankful that God saved us from hell and we don't have to go there. We always have an option to turn our bitterness into blessings. But we often get roped in and pulled in because, guess what? Everybody else around us, the world is bitter, complaining, miserable, and misery loves company. And we get sucked right into it. That's why praising in the midst of that kind of a world, those kind of people, and even ourselves, that's a sacrifice. It's a sacrifice to praise God when it's not easy. And all of us have to fight at this and work at this and pray for this because it's not just going to happen, guys. You're not going to hear this sermon today and walk out of here and have this nailed down. It's something that you are going to have to make a point of every single day continually because worship is a lifestyle. probably heard that many times, but it's true. Worship is a lifestyle. It's not just an hour on Sunday. And that's why I feel like doing all of those aesthetic things in churches is really not productive to the ultimate goal of what we're trying to do. I'm not saying and I'm not condemning churches that dim their lights and set a mood and do all these things to try to create an environment of worship. I've heard that many times. We want to create a worship experience. I've heard wonderful media teams and and all sorts of these big churches, which I have friends that go to and, and are even part of, but they're always talking about creating something my creator painted the world he created everything including me and you and i don't i don't need any extra to worship him i i just i don't because i feel like when we enter into his presence when we sang revelation song 
Imagine what it was like when Isaiah was standing in his presence. He couldn't even look at him. Woe am I, a man of unclean lips. He couldn't even lift his eyes up. And I think when we're in the presence of God, we won't care if there's lights on or the lights are dimmed, if there's a smoke machine or a fog machine or anything else. I think we'll be overwhelmed with His presence. I don't need anything to create an experience for me. I've met Jesus. He, or He found me, I should say. And I've never been the same since. And I hope that's the same for you. Because worship, true worship, comes from the heart. It comes from a transformed life, a changed heart, a born-again spirit. And it's a praise that is satisfied in Him. If you're not satisfied in Him, there won't be enough production that we can put on to make you truly worship. But when you're satisfied in Him, doesn't matter if you're in a hut in Africa, driving in your car to work on Sunday or on Monday morning, or in here worshiping on Sunday, you will praise God because you're satisfied. And He's with you. He's with you in the car. He's with you in the plane. He's with you here at church. He's with you. You can worship Him anywhere. So we need to ask ourselves, when we, when we sing these songs, if it is here or even at home or in, in the car wherever, do we look beyond the genre? Do we look beyond the beat and the quality of the vocals and ask, do I really believe what I'm singing? Do I really believe this? Do I really believe in the God that I am singing about? Am I truly offering Him praise, of sacrifice of praise? And is my worship to God flowing from a heart that believes and experienced what I'm saying? I often tell you, please, when we sing these songs, if you can't truly sing them from a heart that believes that and has experienced that, then don't sing, come to the altar and ask God to get your heart right. If you can't say, I surrender all, then don't sing, I surrender all. Ask God to help you to surrender all. If you can't say, have thine own way, Lord, I'm, you're the potter and I'm the clay, if you're still trying to hold on to your life, don't sing it. Come and ask God to change your heart. Don't sing trust and obey if you don't trust Him and obey Him. You get the point. On and on we sing these songs and we mouth these words, but I don't think we really believe what we're saying. But we can and we should. Because again, our worship has to come through, as our text says, through Him. Through Christ. And all the things that He's done for us. Like Dr. Thomas said, if, if we can't hear, then we can't sing those, those words, those notes. And I believe for all of us, if we're not careful, there are things in our hearts that affect the way that we pray and praise. I think there are things that sometimes affect that. Have we grown deaf to His voice, to His Word, and to His promises? And then Paul, or I believe Paul is a writer here. I know some people might disagree with that, and that's okay. But as we move on to verse 16, I want us to see one other thing here as we, as we wrap up. He says, do not neglect to do good and to share with what you have for such sacrifices, he calls those sacrifices, are pleasing to God. So if we're to offer a sacrifice of praise continually that is the fruit of our lips, which ultimately shows what's in the heart, then he goes on and says that there will be a result of that type of attitude, a focus on Jesus, a praise even when events are not always going as we think they should. The result of that is that we will not neglect to do good and to share what we have. Because let me ask you a question, and I've heard this universally. When you first got saved and heard the good news, what's the first thing you wanted to do? Tell everybody, right? You ran out, you might be scared to death to witness now, but back then, buddy, you would have stood on a street corner and preached. 
You weren't scared to tell anybody because it was all new and it was all amazing and you were gripped by just the glory of God and how good He'd been to you and you wanted to tell everybody. And when you praise God, when you get in that spirit where you have true joy and true praise down in your heart, you're going to want to go and do for other people. You're going to want to go and help other people. You just are because what you got is so good you want other people to have it. You can't help but telling people about it. In other words, what I'm trying to say is our attitudes do affect our actions. If we're miserable and grouchy and don't like anybody or anything right now, just stay away from me and leave me alone, you're probably not going to go out and invite people to church and tell them about Jesus. You're probably just going to say, leave me alone. I don't want to be bothered right now. I'm upset. I'm miserable. Stay away from me. Right? Our attitudes affect our actions. And here's the problem. You can settle into that kind of mindset and just get in a routine with that. Like you can function that way, but that's not how you are called to live. You know that church can become a joyless activity. Serving God can become a routine. And obedience can just become a burden to you. Well, I know I'm supposed to do it. Pastor said it again. I'm supposed to do it, so I guess I'm going to do it. And you're just going through the motions. And you can even fake it. Like you can come in and look like everything. You can be raising your hands and smile on your face and deep down in your heart. You're just going through the motions. And that's why I'm asking us to all allow God to dig deeper into our hearts and say, is this just something that I do because I'm expected to do it? Or is this a joy for me? Is this a calling for me? Is this a privilege and an honor for me? I get to worship God. Nothing you do is small. Please understand that everything you do matters. We talked about that in Sunday school. You have a gift and everybody's gift is different and you don't have to participate in everything. But find your niche, find your calling, find your place and serve with joy. Don't just do it because you got to do it. Do it because you get to do it. You get to serve the Lord. You get to be a part of His work. You may be the one that God uses to save someone's life. You can't save them, but you may be the vessel that He uses. But if you stay home and you refuse to participate because you're just miserable all the time, the enemy has you right where he wants you. Because you, it's not that you can't be used, it's just you refuse to be used. You're saying by your attitude, no thank you. Find somebody else, and God will find somebody else. His plan won't be thwarted because you said no, but you will miss out on the blessings, and when you stand before Him one day, you'll give an account for why you didn't use your gifts and talents. But what a joy it is when we get to serve Him. I get to stand up here week in and week out and preach the Word of God. So I'm not worthy of it. I never wanted this, but man, I'm sure thankful I get to do it. I couldn't imagine doing anything else with a greater group of folks. I thank God for this church. I thank God for the call. And I can't say that every time I jump up here, I'm full of joy. And there's times when it's a drudgery for me too. We all get in that place, but we shouldn't stay in that place. That's the difference. Recognize it and fight against it. Fight for joy. I think, Monica, we used to say that every once in a while. Fight for joy, right? It's worth it. It's worth it. Galatians 6.10 says, All right, so then as we have opportunity, we all get opportunities, guys, all the time. As we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, not just people that deserve it, everyone, and especially those who are in the household of faith. It starts in here. There are needs in this church. There are people that are going through trials, and how much of a blessing... Mike, how much of a blessing was it that the church rallied around you when you had a need? I know that that meant something. I know that that helped. In a difficult situation, the church stepped up, as you always do. 
It means so much. And it can be something as small as just a text or a phone call. I appreciate so much when the guys and even some of the ladies here at the church just text through the week and just say, hey, I'm praying for you today. Man, that means so much. It does. That someone was thinking about you today and enough to just offer up a prayer. You know, those encouragements matter, guys. They do. They mean a lot. So don't let this, don't let the Christian life just become a routine. Don't let it just become another part of life. Let it be the center of your life. The focus of your life. Don't just say it's time to read my Bible and i got to pray and i got to do outreach because eventually you won't have any joy and if there's no joy, you'll find excuses and you'll quit doing it. People say all the time, why did that so-and-so they quit coming to church? They quit reading their Bible. They used to be on fire. I believe a big part of it is they lost their joy in it. They lost their focus. It became a routine. And you know how it is. When you have a routine to do, eventually it's easy to just say, I am just tired of that. I'm all, I ain't doing the laundry today. I ain't cutting the grass today. I'm doing it some other day. Because there's no joy. I mean, unless you're really weird. Nobody likes doing laundry. Nobody likes doing the, washing the dishes, right? It's just you've got to do it. If you're going to have clean clothes, you've got to do it. If you want to eat off paper plates, you've got to do it. But we don't have no joy in that. But our worship shouldn't be like that. I've got to do it. It's Sunday. I've got to get up. got to go, right? Maybe every once in a while we feel that way, but shouldn't be regularly. And so I believe the enemy keeps us in that state of discontent. He does. He loves to see us discontent because that keeps us constantly looking somewhere else. Maybe I'll try another church. Maybe I'll try another style of worship. Maybe I'll try another style of pastor. Maybe I'll try another religion. Maybe I'll try another group of people. On and on and on. There's never any contentment. See? And, God, and the enemy will keep you discontent all of your life. You will never be satisfied with anything. If you're always looking for perfection in everything. If you're always looking for what you want. It's a sad, sad thing, isn't it? When, when you meet a person that says they're a believer and they're never happy. Like they're continually miserable and they're rarely satisfied. That to me is a sad, sad place to be. Because if you're looking for problems, you'll find them. You will find them everywhere. Or they'll find you. Right? So let me just say this as we close. Our text says to continually praise God and to do good and share because that kind of sacrifice pleases Him. I don't know about you, but one of the most joyful things for me is to know that my Father is pleased with me. When my Heavenly Father is pleased with what I'm doing, it, it just creates a confidence, I guess would be a good word. It's good to be able to lay your head down on your pillow at night and know that you did everything you could to serve God that day. And you tried to be pleasing to Him that day. That's a good feeling, and we can have those feelings. I thought about, and I'll close with this, in 1621, the pilgrims celebrated what we call Thanksgiving, the first Thanksgiving, a time of celebration, recognizing God for His goodness and His abundance to them. But did you know that the year before that first Thanksgiving in 1620, that 48 of those original 102 pilgrims died from disease and exposure? 48 out of 102, that's over half, or almost half. And yet, here they are celebrating, giving thanks for God's blessings. That was a sacrifice of praise. They could have given up, they could have packed up ship, they could have complained and grumbled to God for what's going on. But they had a day of thanksgiving, a celebration to Him. Here's another story that I thought was good. It says, when the great painter Benjamin West was a young boy, he decided to draw a picture of his sister. He got out bottles of ink and succeeded in only making a mess. When his mother got home, she said, what a beautiful picture. 
and kissed him. Later in life in his biography, he said, that kiss made me a painter. His mom's encouragement and love, in spite of the fact that his picture was a mess, caused him to continue on and to push on. It was love and grace towards him that motivated him. And it ought to be the love and grace of Jesus Christ that makes us true worshipers today. He is so worthy, church, of our worship. And if you can't come in here or even go out there and regularly worship Him out of joy and contentment and satisfaction, then we have what we call an altar up here. And maybe today is a day something needs to die on there. Maybe you need to die on there. Not, not obviously literally, but you need to figuratively, spiritually lay down your flesh and say, I have not been in the place I need to be. I, my worship has been stagnant. My witnessing has been stagnant. My overall Christian walk has been stagnant. And I refuse to give the enemy one more day. Every day is a gift of life. Don't give him another minute of your life. Take it back for the Lord Jesus Christ and serve Him with joy. Psalm 37.4 says, Delight yourself in the Lord and He will give you the desires of His heart. Are you delighting in Him today? I hope you are. Most of all, I hope that you know Jesus as your Savior. There's no greater joy, no greater fulfillment and contentment than knowing Christ has washed you clean. And He can do that for you today if you'll just trust Him by faith. So let's pray. Praise team will come. Uh, Phyllis will come with Tiffany and we're going to sing a hymn of invitation. So let's pray together and then we'll stand for that time. Father, we thank You for just allowing us to stand in the presence of a holy God and worship Him. Thank You, Lord, that we can offer a sacrifice of praise to You. You sacrificed Your only Son on our behalf. And Lord, we could never repay that debt that uh, you, you took away from us. But I just ask, Lord, that You would help us, help us all to worship, not just in here, but in our lives every day. And Lord, we give You thanks for what You have done in our presence and what You continue to do in our lives. In Jesus' name, Amen. As we stand this morning and as we sing, if your worship, if your life, if your walk is not where it needs to be, take that back. Say, I'm coming, I'm confessing, and I'm going to serve God the way I need to serve God and worship Him in spirit and truth.